Lord, we offer you this night, we offer you the things that are here. The matters that we're discussing, Lord, are spiritual in nature. They're things that are going to go beyond our direct understanding. We're not going to have easy answers. Lord, you may leave us with no answers in some of these places except to trust you and walk in faith in the things that you've commanded us to do. The place of transformation that we keep seeking, Lord, is a mystery that belongs to you because it's your work, it's your spirit that does this. So we pray tonight that you just open us up for that transformation. Pray this in your name. Amen. So here's where we've been. So far, we've covered these disciplines in a series on spiritual disciplines. Simplicity, prayer, meditation. Last week we did silence and solitude. This is where we are tonight. We're going to do the discipline of confession. That's always a favorite. There's some other disciplines you see up here that we might cover in the coming weeks. We're kind of feeling how it, what, which one leads to the next one. And this week, I felt particularly impressed at the end of last week to talk about the discipline of confession. So that's what we're doing. Just to throw out some rules for you, really briefly, here's some things we've observed as we've gone through this series to give us a good backdrop. First, the disciplines are not an end in of themselves. Second, what we're really looking for is spiritual transformation. What is that? True change from the inside. That's the work of the Lord. That's the third point. Inner change is going to come from the Holy Spirit. No matter how strong our will is, no matter how much we try to resist sin, we're not going to be able to create inner change just by sheer force of will. Fourth, the disciplines open us up spiritually to better allow transformation to take place. Think of it as tilling the soil. You ever done that? You ever seen hard soil when you walk through and you start to till it or you start to break through so that you can soften the soil to make it more receptive? That's kind of what's going on in our heart. And confession tonight is especially one of those disciplines that's going to soften our heart to receive transformation from the Lord because our hearts are very hardened and confession really puts us in a soft, supple place for transformation. Fifth, we need to look beyond immediate results. We've had this temptation in this room to look for, like, what's going to be the result of that? The result is going to be transformation. How? I can't explain it to you. Not directly, because it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's in our control. What's in our control is to do these disciplines, to have the faith to put ourselves in a place to do them. For some of you, that's going to require you stepping out in faith to do something that you don't actually even buy into yet, to see if it actually results in something. And it may take a long period of time to see that transformation happen. Last week, I shared with you the example of my own life about starting to move more towards simplicity and generosity and how long it took to actually look back and say, wow, over 10 years, I could see the change. But you wouldn't see it day to day. You wouldn't even see it in a week or a month or even the first year. It takes a commitment to do something that you don't even buy into sometimes. It is a step of faith to do these disciplines and take them seriously without seeing immediate result. We're looking for deeper change than an immediate causation and then some sort of result. We're looking for a transformation which eventually over time our heart becomes more and more like Jesus. In the last couple of weeks, I've thrown out some challenges to you. Here's what they were from week to week, one kind of for each discipline. First, when we looked at the discipline of simplicity, the challenge that I threw out was fast from spending money for a couple of days or for an entire week. I don't know if any of you tried to do that. That was our challenge. One way to just engage it and see what happened. Or another option was take inventory of everything you own. Spend time. That one would cost you nothing except some time, just take inventory of what you own so you could start to look at the massive stuff that we collect in our life. 
That was the challenge for one week. Some people did it. Second week, when Morgan talked about prayer, he challenged us to set aside a set amount of time or a special time for prayer to see if that engaged us in prayer in a different way. It was a very practical piece of advice. If it's not setting aside a specific time, one other device you might use is setting aside a specific place. There may be a place where you go, when I pray, I'm going to go to that place. That's not saying that's the only place you'll pray or that's the only time you'll pray. These are devices. They're meant to induce a discipline in us. So sure, sometimes they seem a little bit artificial, but that's exactly what a discipline does at the beginning to establish a better habit in us. Third, in our meditation discussion, here's what we said. Set aside some time to meditate. I don't know if any of you tried it. The recommendation was meditate on his word, on his works in scripture, on his works in your life, on the creation. Just pick one of those, not all of them. And then see if after you do that extended period of time in meditation, if you would spend time actively listening to hear if you heard anything at all. Again, I said this could take years to actually see these come to real fruit, but I just wanted to try it just in one week, see what happened. Last week, the recommendation was try to go the entire week without music or television in the time that you usually listen to it the most. For me, it was driving around the car. Anyone try it? Anyone make it the whole week? But I had to do it because my cars are kind of messed up right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> Does anyone get anything out of it? Anyone, did it? Did it drive you crazy? Drove me crazy. Drove you crazy? Yeah, the first couple days were really hard. You know, Ben has a long commute. I was driving like an hour and a half commute at times, and it was just hard because I'm so used to it. The first couple days, it was just important to just realize how much I depended on hearing something around me and how much it would take my thoughts. You know, towards the end of the week, I was like, I, I can't do this. I need something to focus my thoughts. This is driving me nuts. My thoughts were all over the map. The real point is, remember that the reason we're doing this series is because you're not supposed to be doing all of these things all the time. In fact, you might think some of the exercises we did were just plain goofy. That's okay. The whole goal is to introduce you to the disciplines and to help you identify when you might need to practice a particular discipline. So if I picked one part of this series that was the most important each week, it was the symptoms that we put up to say, you might need to look into this discipline if these are symptoms that you identify in your own spiritual life. We're going to do that again tonight, okay? Let's talk about confession. This one should be easy to understand, maybe hard to practice. Confession. First, we start off with what is it? Uh, pretty obvious. It's confessing our sins to God, individually or, here's the scandalous part, with other people what we call corporate confession. Very easy to understand. We spent a lot of time wrestling with what is Christian meditation or what's the purpose of silence. But this one's very easy to get, confession. Anyone think confession's a bad idea? Let's just get that out right now. Anyone want to dispute that we should confess our sins? No? Okay, that's the easy part. I think that's relatively easy. So, what are the symptoms you should look for when you know that you should confess, right? What are the symptoms? Here's the first one. You've sinned. <laughs> so again, easy to identify. Unlike the other ones that had a long, long list of symptoms that you go, well, maybe you should practice simplicity if, and there's like 20 things on the screen. Maybe you should practice meditation if, and there's like 20 things on the screen. This one is maybe you should practice the discipline of confession if you've sinned. All right, maybe that's too simplistic. Here's a couple more just so that we can make sure. I mean, I think everyone's going to fall into category number one. 
But let's add a couple so that you could see why this discipline might actually be good. Here's some other things you might look for. You have prayed for forgiveness, but you felt that you didn't really receive it or you haven't really felt it inside. In a place where we haven't found release from sin or the hold that it has on us. Maybe there is some sort of recalcitrant sin in your life that has a hold on you. Maybe you're one of these people that doubt that they can be forgiven for something. Or that you doubt forgiveness itself. Another symptom might be the hurt or sorrow of the past resulting from the sin has not healed. There's still hurt from that sin. You've never actually dealt with the consequence of it in some way. Or, we've come to believe that forgiveness deals with the act of sinning. So, forgiveness is about, hey, I sinned, and that's what I need forgiveness for. But you actually might believe that the consequences of sin is going to remain. But one step to help heal that, heal the consequence of sin, heal the hurt that came about, and heal the way that you live your life may be, that confession is an extra step that may help you do that. Partially, maybe it's just I know, I'm just curious on this idea about praying for forgiveness. We may understand confession be just like sort of saying, hey, God, this is, I've sinned in this action. I know it's wrong, and that's it. But the idea of praying for forgiveness uh, seems a weird concept to me because theoretically, it doesn't understand that God's already forgiven that sin. And so, like, praying for forgiveness is not already asking God to do something he's done already. Well, let me say, you're right, and there's more. It's not an either-or, it's an and-both. Because God's grace and his forgiveness has already been offered to all of us, and we've received it in salvation. But that does not mean that we have no part to play. The same thing as saying that God's salvation is offered to everybody, but we still have a part to play in accepting it. It is biblical to pray for forgiveness. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, forgive us our debts. He's telling us, pray this way. Pray to the Father that he would forgive you, even as you forgive others. So, sure, you might say, well, does that mean that if you don't pray for forgiveness, you won't receive it? I haven't said that. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't pray for forgiveness. And this particular symptom is one of those where we have prayed for forgiveness and I think received it, but we haven't let it drift into our own understanding that we have been forgiven and released. And that's why, as you'll see, the discipline of confession is more than just saying, hey, Lord, forgive me. It actually goes a little bit further in terms of what we're doing in our part. I feel that I know I'm forgiven with that. Like, I know that there's a responsibility and a need for me to confess my sins and recognize that it was a sin and not like be happy with. But yeah, that's totally necessary. But I don't, I don't know, like, I personally struggle with that idea. Like, I don't... That because it doesn't apply to you. There are people who feel like they've prayed for forgiveness and feel that they still have not been forgiven. Why that is, it's subjective. It's not an objective thing that you look in Scripture and say, because they found a verse that says that. They're still struggling with understanding God's grace sufficiently. But see, like I said, we're trying to fit ourselves into every one of these things. These are just things that hit different people. So for you, the discipline of confession may have nothing to do with where you're at. And for somebody else, it may be the thing that's preventing them from having a vibrant relationship with the Lord because their heart is holding something back or they feel that God does not allow their forgiveness. I mean, it's, it's not biblical. By the way, I'm most tempted to believe that last one, that God forgives the sin, but he, doesn't, he just lets the consequences fall where they were. It's like, you sinned, too bad, sorry, you just 
whatever happens, happens. And that's true a lot of times. But that doesn't mean we can't even ask God for forgiveness and for healing, even for the bad consequences that our sin has caused. There's nothing that says you can't even seek forgiveness in that way for a true restoration. Let's look at some scripture that backs this up. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. A lot of us have memorized that verse. That's the assurance of forgiveness that we have if we confess our sins. But I want you to think for a moment, what does that mean? Is that a passive confession on your part? Is it just like, I got Jesus, it's kind of like a standing confession? Or do you think it means that we have to actively confess sin? Is it a commandment to confess, or is it just like if you one time confess that you were a sinner in general? You just covered because you admitted it one time, or several times, or you just kind of know it generally in your mind. Look at the verses around this, by the way. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So there's where we make that claim. There's no sin in me. Now, most of us know better than that than to walk around and actually say that out loud. But we should examine our hearts and find out, do we ever believe that? Like, I'm not, I'm not doing too bad. I'm doing good. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Then he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Again, the next verse, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. I don't think any of us in here really are going to say, I don't sin. But I think our attitude sometimes says that. Just hold that because we're going to come back to how this discipline of confession can be challenging for us and how we might put it into practice. So here's a direct commandment. Confess sin. He is faithful and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Some of you might look at the word if. Like, is there a condition? Like, we have to confess for him to forgive? I don't think that's a complete way to look at it because there's other verses that give us that forgiveness. 1 Timothy In chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ who gave himself as ransom for all men. The reason I put that up here, let's be clear. There's one person that has the right to mediate for us to forgive sins, that's Jesus. So your confession is fine when you speak directly to the Lord. However, in James chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, it says, talking about a sinful person, if he has sinned, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. And obviously the part I'm looking at right there is confess your sins to each other. And I put these verses on the screen because I want to contrast these two things. It's true that Jesus is our mediator. He's the person that we're supposed to be confessing to. But I want to point out that we can, and probably I'm going to say in a moment, should confess to one another. That's the harder part of this discipline the part that deals with corporate confession, confessing to one another. Let me be clear. You can confess individually. I'm not saying that that doesn't apply. That's exactly why that first verse is up there. But there is some benefit to the discipline of corporate confession, confessing to another believer. Why do I say that? Let me look at some things that come out of that. 
And my sense is on this that most of us are like, yeah, confession, I'm, I'm with it. What I want you to think about as we walk through these next few points is, would you practice the discipline of corporate confession and with whom? First, why corporate confession? Because I think we take sin entirely too lightly. A lot of us, myself included, just accept that Jesus has forgiven us and it doesn't really matter too much. It doesn't weigh on us very much when we sin. Corporate confession kind of tweaks that a little bit. Think about it this way. If you're troubled by the idea of confessing sin to another person, so if you have trouble trying to think of how you would confess sin to another person that you know, another believer, maybe somebody even in this room, why is it that we don't have any trouble like just knowing that God knows what the sin is? Like, that's okay. He knows everything. He'll just watch it. He'll be okay with it. It doesn't matter. That's what his business is. His business is to die for me so I can be forgiven. But it would be mortifying for somebody else in this room to hear the litany of sins that I committed this last week. Maybe it's because we've traded inner purity for outward conformity. Like in the church, we've come up with rules about what it is that we're supposed to look like. Like, we know better than to say the F word in church, right? That's pretty obvious. You don't really need to worry about whether you cuss or don't cuss. You just know that when you go to church, that's not going to come out of your mouth somehow. All right, maybe that's an extreme example. Let's move it in a little bit. Like, we know that there's certain behaviors we just have to conform to on the outside because that would be shocking and embarrassing for us if people caught us doing those things. But that's not really inner purity. That's not a life of disciplined attempts to live a holy life. And for people who find it mortifying to spend time confessing sin with another person openly, this helps us to soften our heart in this one area and say, hey, maybe, just maybe, this outward stuff that's just a facade needs to fall a little bit, and let's deal with the real inner stuff. Because God sees it all, but we somehow seem comfortable with that. It's like, yeah, it's okay if God knows. I just don't want my friend to know. I don't want you to know. But God knows. He, that's his business. He's supposed to know everything. He's supposed to just live with it. He died for it. He tolerates it. He loves me. That's a very flippant attitude towards a very holy God. Yeah, it's artificial. It's just a discipline. But it makes us really deal seriously with sin. It's an accountability as well. Knowing that you have to confess to one another really makes sin more serious in our life. I wish it wasn't the case. I wish like the fact that I had to tell you what I did this week wouldn't be the thing that would make me take sin seriously. I wish that what made me take sin seriously was the fact that I sinned in front of a holy God and he knew about it. I wish that was the case, but I think all of us know better than that. We know that maybe that's the goal that we'd like to get to, but the real case is you'd be more mortified to come and sit with me and tell me what happened this week. And that's why it's a discipline. Like I said, it might be artificial, but it creates a serious underline under the sin that we do and makes us take it more seriously. We avoid the temptation to take confession and forgiveness for granted. I think very few things can till the soil of our heart in the same way as corporate confession. Again, why do we do these disciplines? Because they open up our heart to true spiritual transformation. You want to be in a humble posture? You want to be in a malleable posture? You want to be in a place where you're sitting like completely 
almost trembling because of the openness that you feel spiritually, try this discipline. And see if it doesn't shake you to your core because it's very difficult for us. But it puts us in a place where we're vulnerable and in a posture of receiving. And the Lord can do great things when our heart is that soft. Here's a couple things to avoid in corporate confession. First, someone who can't receive confession well. You probably know who those people are. Maybe you sense that the first thing they're going to do is just judge the very thing that you're doing. That might be one example of someone who can't receive it. Maybe another example of somebody who can't receive it well is somebody who's going to tell everybody that they know about what they just saw in you or somebody who's going to change completely their view. Maybe another way that somebody can't receive it is because you know that in their particular life, they're either struggling with something that's going to hurt them when they hear that or something that you just have to be sensitive about. You, you know where people are at. Consider that. Who really should receive the type of confession that you do. I wouldn't just say, hey, let's just join up in groups. I'll number you off, like one, two, three, one, two, three, and like, why don't we do some corporate confession? Like, it's probably not going to work. It's a very serious thing for you to consider before you do that. Here's another thing to avoid. Someone who doesn't take confession seriously. And this one, I think, is the one that would probably best describe us. Probably describe me. We're so eager to accept one another that we'll say, ah, it's no big deal. Like you go to somebody and you say, this is sin in my life and this is something that's going on and the answer you get back is, hey, we're all sinners, man. Who cares? I mean, not, maybe not who cares, but we're all sinners. Like it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. We're trying to make each other feel okay, which I don't, I don't want you to hear that I don't want us to accept one another, but it's much more loving even though it's much more difficult to say, that is serious. That is tough. To really receive confession and to assure forgiveness rather than to just excuse or rationalize sin. Like, well, we're all broken. We're all sinful. I mean, that's, those are true statements. But they're also flippant statements in the way that they're delivered. And the message a person hears is not only, I don't care about your confession so much because it's no big deal, everybody sins. Because probably for them, it took so long to get the courage to do that. But also, you're not helping that person because they're being told like, yeah, it's okay. Take it lightly. It's just sin. We do it every day. Don't worry about it. I don't see anything in the Bible, despite all the assurances that we will sin, and that seems to be our nature, I don't see anything in the Bible that ever takes sin lightly. Even with all the grace and all the mercy and all the forgiveness that's assured in the Bible, I still don't see any place where it says, it's no big deal. That the Lord sits on high on his throne as the holy God with angels surround him going, ah, what do you expect from him? I don't see that. I see it as a serious charge over and over and over again, both in the Old and the New Testament. It's just a discipline to see if that would bring us into a deeper place where we would soften our hearts and see if transformation happens. Yeah? Do you feel like corporate confession uh, would best be done through confessing all of your sins in the same way you would to God, or list through all my sins I can think of that I'm doing, or just like, hey, this is like major recurring sins, that need to be dealt with, or this is a sin against this person, and like it's destroying my life. Like This is something I need to be confessing. I think it's both of them, because it'll depend on how people practice them. Some people get together with a regular confession partner and spend time confessing, and the other person confesses as well. Other people will go to someone because they've got an issue in their life that has gone on for a period of time, 
and they need to confess a, like a very deep issue and they, need to re, they feel like they cannot move on and there's something spiritually that's preventing them from moving on until they do that. So would, I, it would work for both. I don't see that there's one that I, I would think that like, no, this is better just for that kind of thing. Now, is it practical to list every single sin that you've done? I've heard of people doing that. In fact, one of the things I'm going to give at the end is to take an inventory of things for which you could or should or have been forgiven for. That's, that's one of those things like take an inventory of everything you own. It's pretty extreme. Most people are just going to say, forget that, man. I, I don't have time for that. But there are people who feel like their issues with forgiveness go deep enough where they need to sit down and actually do that. Morgan? I think this is a strong point of Catholicism, actually. Um, I think it can be very well abused, but the idea of confessing sins to a priest, to someone like that regular routine, to me, because I, I look at this and I'm like, I, I can't remember the last time I've ever done this. You know, I mean, it's something so rare and yet it's so clear, I believe so clearly in Scripture to say, confess your sins to each other, like, do it. Um, and I never do. And so... Yeah, I think it's just something where I know I am, I'm, you know, very afraid of doing that. Um, and when we look at our spectrum of, of disciplines like confession, even if it's not necessarily corporate, but confession is supposed to be pretty continual. Like, I don't think it's in the fasting range where, yeah, once every other month or, you know, here and there I do that. Like, confession is supposed to be a regular routine, I would say, of a believer. There's another aspect of confession that we need to consider. And that is that sometimes confession requires you to go to somebody and ask for forgiveness, and that's another form of corporate confession. That's the one that would terrify us even the most. Especially when you're the one, I mean, remember this confession, not asking them to, <laughs> to, to say they're wrong. This is you confessing. In Scripture, we even see that if you have your sacrifice ready for the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you or you have something against your brother, you're supposed to leave your sacrifice there and go and be reconciled first with your brother. That's a very difficult era of confession because our way of dealing with things is to just talk about people when they're not there, to vent to our friends. That's not corporate confession. That's, that's disguised venting and disguised gossiping. That's not honoring to our community. When you have something against someone, Part of it may be your first step is to even go and confess even that and work it out with them. We don't do that. We're much more comfortable flocking together in groups. And that's something we have to be very careful of because that's where the devil gets a real strong foothold within even our own community and uses that to hurt people within the body. So confession is, yes, you laying your heart bare even when the person that you're confessing to, and maybe especially when the person you're confessing to, is someone that you have something against or that you've said something against or that you've done something against, and you come and you say, forgive me. That's pretty tough to do. That will lay your heart bare. That will make you feel very vulnerable. I mean, you know what my thing is going to be for this week. Try this. The place where this puts us in the way that we do it is going to really till the soil of your heart and open it up for true transformation. How do we do it in practice? First, I'm not throwing out individual confession. In fact, I think it's something that we should be doing all the time. It's true that Jesus may have blanket covered all of your sins all at once, but that doesn't mean that we're not commanded to confess. It doesn't mean that we're not even commanded to pray for forgiveness. Even if it's just, thank you that you forgave me. 
So individually, one way to do it in practice, to be very practical, again, these are just devices, this is not biblical, this is just something that you might do to practice this discipline. Contextualize your time of confession. What does that mean? Break it down into aspects, into areas. You'll see this week at the end of the challenge an example of contextualization, so let me leave it there. If you're going to try corporately to do it, choose someone who's mature in the faith and who values a disciplined life. You should probably be able to see that. Obviously, trust is essential. But I think that if you choose the right person, it goes without saying. You're not going to have to say, no, you're not going to tell anybody this, right? I mean, if you even have to ask the question, it's probably not the right person. <laughs> but look for someone who's mature. They can be younger than you. But somebody who's matured in the faith enough where they have an outward, also, disciplined life. Not for outward piety, but that you could see the essentials of discipline. I've said it before, one weakness in this group is that we're very intellectually strong in what we study, but we need to start seeing it in discipline. Corporately, choose someone who's going to receive your confession, pray with you, but not see it purely as a counseling opportunity. I'm not saying that people can't counsel you. I'm not trying to make a black and white rule. What I'm saying is the purpose is for them to receive your confession and to pray with you. You know, it's biblical that we have the authority to forgive sins of one another. If you want to look it up and struggle with the verse, just look at John 20, 23. It's beyond the scope of what we're talking about tonight. It's the justification for why the Catholic Church has penned its whole ideas of confessional and the priest giving people something to do that's penitent for them to come back and receive forgiveness. It could be one of those great verses we debate all night, and I don't want to do that tonight, because that's not the point. But Scripture is clear that if we want to forgive, we have that power because the Holy Spirit lives in us. It's Jesus' charge. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. When you forgive sins, they're forgiven. And if you want a little bit more controversy, it goes on. And if you withhold that forgiveness, they won't be forgiven. Like I said, we'll debate what that means some other lifetime. But that's why corporate prayer and corporate confession are so important because there's even this charge, not just in James to confess to one another, but Jesus is saying to the disciples, you will hear those things and you will forgive on my behalf. So in corporately, look for someone who will give that kind of assurance, like remind you of the assurance that you are forgiven and pray with you. No matter whether you do it individually or corporately, I'm going to suggest this four-step process. First, spend time examining yourself before God. Just sit before God examining where in my life do I need to ask for forgiveness. Most of us are going to go right to the sin that troubles us the most. Okay? Move that off to the side for a moment. Because there's probably plenty others that we're not even seeing because we're so used to going to the one that's the most habitual sin in our life. The one that we know all too well. The one that we never seem to get by. And maybe corporate confession will help us get by it. But either way, take that one off the top for a moment and look at the other parts of your life. Identify definitive sins is a suggestion that's made by people who practice this discipline. Not just, hey, I think I sin or I'm a sinner. I think that I'm just a person who's generally greedy. Like, Identify specific things that you need to ask for forgiveness for. That word that I spoke was hurtful. That thing I did was untruthful. Look at them specifically and get down to that level of sin. 
Not just, Lord, I'm sorry for the way that I, in general, forgive me because I'm just a sinner. He knows that. He probably knows the, the, the definitive ones too. It'll help you to get down to that level. Third, spend time examining a position in your, in your heart of sorrow and real grief over sin. Grief over the fact that you sinned, not grief over the consequence of the sin. We're really good about the consequence of the sin grieving. Like, oh man, I screwed that up. That person's so mad at me now. Oh, it'll never be the same. It'll be so awkward when I'm around them. That's not what you're asking forgiveness for. What you're asking forgiveness for is that you sinned against the standard of a holy God. That you grieve at such a deep level that you want to go and basically say, Lord, I'm sorry for violating your law. Yes, I have to deal with the person that I hurt as well. But it begins with a grief over sin itself. And I said not just the consequence, because you could grieve over that. And of course, that'll be the part that you have to deal with probably the most. But start first with grief over the fact of sin. Finally, resolve in your heart to avoid that sin. Have a determination against it. I know that as soon as I say that, you're thinking, that's not possible. Again, don't be flippant with issues of sin in our life. Yes, we will continue to sin. But we are reminded in Scripture again that we haven't yet struggled against sin to the point of shedding our own blood, right? It's never like, oh yeah, you're going to sin, so don't worry about it. It's always that kind of word that's given to us about the struggle against sin. So even though you resigned yourself to fail, even as you say this, there still needs to be that determination. So this week, here's what I would ask you to try. Spend time before the Lord confessing sin. In a specific way. It's just one way, but try it. On each day, take out a piece of paper and write down the sins for which you need forgiveness. I've put up six categories so that you can have a Sabbath at the end. How spiritual is that, huh? <laughs> and this is a discipline that Richard Foster prescribed and I've actually elaborated a little bit on. Just take out a piece of paper and look at these things. Some of these are in the past. Sins from your childhood. Sins from your adolescent years. Some of you might be still struggling to get out of those. Sins that have hurt others. Sins in the context of relationships, habitual sins, and hidden sins. What I'm going to ask you to do is just one day take each one of those and just write them down. How will you write them down? I mean, you could do it as a stream of consciousness, just write them down. You could spend time in, front of the, in, in the Lord's presence just praying to bring things to mind that you need to ask forgiveness for and then write them down. You can pray over that thing. You can ask forgiveness for each one of those things. You can do what some people do, like in junior high, where you crumple it up, throw it in the trash can, and set it on fire, you know, like that thing, like it's all gone, forgotten. You can rip it up into a million pieces and toss some to the east and the west. You can do whatever you want at that point. The main part is writing it down and committing it, at least temporarily, onto a piece of paper and then praying through it and asking for forgiveness. Now, if any of you are really brave... You could identify somebody and take that list and read it to them. How many are going to do that this week? Okay, everybody, good. If you're not going to do that, which I think most of you think I'm nuts, 
we're going to set up a little confessional booth over there, and I'm going to go sit in it, you know, and then I'm going to slide the window, and then you could sit there. And If you're not going to do that, then at least do this. Identify somebody in your life that could receive confession from you. Maybe just the act of thinking who that person might be is enough of a thing to do this week. If there was an issue in your life that was serious enough that you felt you needed to sit down with somebody and confess, who would it even be? Is there even somebody in your life that you would do that with? Is there somebody that you trust at that level? Is there somebody that you could confide in that you respect and that has the spiritual maturity at that level to do that? Maybe just identifying them is enough and seeing if the Holy Spirit prompts you to start to think about doing it seriously. For some people, it takes years to finally say, this is something I need to do. Most of us, I suspect in here, are going to be very skeptical and think, I don't see this resulting in anything. But pray about engaging that person in corporate confession. Yeah? I never really thought about this before, but it's actually something I can't help but doing, so I feel kind of weird because it seems like the general consensus is that it's really hard. But it's, there's something, I don't know, maybe it's because I've made it a habit too, that it's, but I just want to encourage people because it's, once you, you start doing that, it's, it's just so liberating. Not as like, oh, I can get away with it because I just told somebody about it, but it just voicing it makes it in the open and it's no longer, I don't know, it's like it's not a secret anymore and therefore you're already addressing it. But just by voicing it, knowing someone else knows makes me second guess it every time I do that. I don't know. Hidden sin has power. The more we hide a sin, the more we repress it, the more power it gains over us. I've been in enough accountability groups where I've known guys that are in my group that have come forward to confess a particular sin that has been really eating at them. Some of them are ridiculous, some of them are very serious, but the more they repressed them, the more embarrassed they were about them, the more they tried to avoid anyone knowing about them, the more power they had over them. How do I know that? Because when they finally came forward and confessed to the entire group of four or five of us that would be there, as hard as that was, every time that happened, one thing seemed to be certain, and that was that they felt released. They felt like it had less power over them. It didn't mean they were magically healed in one second they got up, but there was something about coming forward and corporately confessing sin, especially recalcitrant, hidden habitual sin that we keep stumbling over over our lives. By the way, hidden sin can also mean hidden from you. That's why it's so important to take inventory sometimes because we tend to hide sin and sometimes we don't even think it's sin. And that reminds me again of if we think that we have not sinned and we're kind of making him out to be a liar. It's very hard to be prideful when you have to sit in front of somebody and confess sin. In fact, it's hard to be anything but in the most humble and vulnerable posture. And that's why I said we've traded inner purity. Instead of having that, we've just put on outward conformity. Corporate confession breaks that. It shatters it. Because you're going to sit there and confess that not only are you not in conformity, but here's what's really going on inside. Here's what's really going on with you. Again, you can do that individually with the Lord. But I think it goes further when we do it with one another. I think that's why the commandments are there to confess to one another. He knows what it does. Let me close this way. I spent some time in prayer tonight before I came in here trying to just get a sense of how to deliver this talk because nobody's going to fight with me about whether we should confess. 
but I got the sense that most of us would just chuck out the window the idea of even talking to one another. And I even got a deeper sense that maybe the whole spiritual disciplines talk we've been doing is something we should chuck because most people in this room are very skeptical about whether they could do anything in their life. And it takes a posture of faith to believe that, to believe that God can transform us spiritually through the use of what seems like goofy mechanisms. So I was really struggling with that, and I went to the prayer chapel over here, and I was just sitting there praying about it. And I, don't know, I just wasn't feeling really hot about it. So I thought, maybe what I'll do is I'll just read 1 John 1.9 again from a Bible. So I reached down beside me after I was praying, and I picked up this Bible. And I started thumbing through it looking for 1 John 1.9, but I realized it's not a Bible. This is the common book of prayer. So when I realized it wasn't a Bible and I didn't bring mine with me, I thought, well, all right, whatever. Nothing seems to be going right. I'll just open up to the first prayer that's in there and just pray that out loud. And that will be my prayer for tonight. So I opened it up. And the first page was page 352. And this is the top of page 352 out of 1,000 pages. 1 John 1.9. This actually starts at 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It also contains Hebrews 4, 14, and 16. So, since apparently I was supposed to read this, I'll read that too. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The deacon of the book is supposed to read, let us confess our sins against God and our neighbor. And to close our time tonight, I think I'm just going to read this prayer as our closing thoughts, because I think maybe God somehow intended that we read page 352. Let's pray, close our eyes, and this is our closing prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will. And walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Almighty God, have mercy. Forgive us our sins, the Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep us in eternal life. Pray these things in your name. Amen.